wonderful to be with you. Hey, we've already been to church, have we not? Like, this has been amazing today. Yeah, it's so good to be with you. It's so good to worship Jesus with you. Um, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. And if you have been tracking with us this summer, what you know is that we have, um, we've been going through stories this summer. We've been talking about the stories that Jesus has told. And, and we call these things parables. And parables are earthly stories, but they have a heavenly meaning. And so, um, and so it's really been a, kind of a, an amazing thing to just get in and to go after story after story after story. And I hope you know this, that at Overlake, just in general, we are huge fans of story. We love to tell stories of life change. We love to tell stories of kingdom impact. Like, like this, this is kind of a, an amazing sort of foundation for how it is that we like to go after this faith journey. Uh, and, and it all kind of revolves around stories. And the reason why I bring it up and the reason why I sort of start this way is because today we have a, a very a, a special treat. We have an opportunity to hear what I think is a really, it's a unique and it's a powerful story of how God works. And, and uh, so today there is a guest speaker. You probably saw that on the front of the handout. And, and his name is Ben Malcolmson. And I've had the chance to, to listen to Ben share his story a couple times. And honestly, I get so blessed. I get so encouraged. And, and in many ways, I get blown away by what God does and by how God works. And so it is a, it's a true treat for us to be able to, to hear him today and, and to be encouraged by the story that God has told through his life. Um, just real quickly, for those of you who don't know Ben, and I really, I, I just want to say, Ben, I didn't know you before I sort of interacted with you. But um, Ben is Pete Carroll's personal assistant. Is that right? So Pete Carroll coaches Seahawks. Yep. And he's been uh, with Coach Pete for many years, actually since the USC days. And, uh, and he'll tell a little bit about that story. Um, by the way, just so you guys all know, training camp starts tomorrow. Uh, yeah, exactly. So... You know, so pray, right? Just pray. We want to lift him up. The, the God's favorite team, so we just want to lift him back up to him. So... And, uh, and, and Ben is, is not only is that sort of a part of his professional life, uh, working full-time with the Seahawks, but, but Ben's heart is for the Lord, and his heart is actually for youth. He's a young life leader, absolutely committed young life leader, and has been for years, and, and he'll talk about that a little bit as well. So here's the deal. Uh, there is an incredible story that God wants to communicate to your heart today through my friend Ben. So could you please give him the warmest Overlake welcome as he comes to share with us today? Thank you. So good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Overlake. It's great to be here. And uh, I mean, can we take a moment and notice these beach balls? I mean, those are, I don't know, I, I, this is my first time here uh, in a little, in a couple months, but uh, man, this is incredible. Uh, those beach balls are pretty big. Thank you, Mike, for the introduction. Thanks for having me today. Um, there's something unique about stories. God speaks to us through stories in a really powerful way in a way that's far different than hearing facts or dates or something just off, off-handed, but something about a story grabs your heart. And I'm gonna share with you guys a story today that will encourage you. You'll walk out of here changed, you'll walk out of here uplifted, and you'll walk out of here knowing that God has an incredible purpose for you in your life. Now I'm gonna take you back a few years um, to start this story. I was a student at USC, University of Southern California, 
down in Los Angeles. And I was stumbling through, trying to find my way, uh, figure out what I wanted to do with, with my college career and beyond. And I stumbled into journalism. That was going to be my major. I was going to be a sports writer there. And part of the assignment was I had to uh, write for the school newspaper. So I go to the school newspaper, I sign up, and they assign me the women's volleyball team. And uh, <laughs> no jokes, come on. <laughs> um, and growing up, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and volleyball is not a very big sport in the middle of the country. It's really big on, on the coast, um, but I had no idea what volleyball was. So I'm there sitting on Wikipedia trying to learn the scoring system and <laughs> watching YouTube videos, trying to figure out how this sport works. And a couple weeks into covering the, the women's volleyball team there at USC, uh, the editor calls me of the, of the newspaper and he says, hey, there's an opening on the football beat. Would you like to go cover and before he could even finish asking the question, I jumped at it because here I was, a 19-year-old kid, and of course I wanted to follow the football team. Um, and this was when USC was just starting their run of three straight years of number one team in the country year after year, all the Heisman Trophies winners, all that stuff. And I jumped at the opportunity. So I go out, there I am covering the football team, and for the next three years I went to every single home and away game. That was my job in college. I got paid to do that. I mean, this was incredible. <laughs> I had friends that were like the janitors in the, in the classrooms, you know, and IT department at 2 a.m., and there I am covering the number one football team in the country as my job. I was blown away. This is what I wanted to do for my life. You know, this was so fun, so exciting. And I was gearing up to graduate a couple years later, and it was spring of my senior year. I wanted to go out with a bang. I wanted to write one final good story. And I had done a couple unique stories in the process. I had done a day in the life of Pete Carroll where I'd follow him around for 15 hours, wrote a story about that, and got a lot of cool attention, and then I did a day in the life of a women's cross-country runner and ran a workout with them, but couldn't really keep up, so <laughs> they kind of left me in the dust. I was an equipment manager for a day. I was washing jock straps and all that. It was a blast. Um, <laughs> and I did all these unique stories, and I see an ad in, in the school newspaper that said walk-on tryouts for the football team were coming up, and it hit me that this is, this is the next chapter in my, my unique story angle. I had to do a story on these walk-on tryouts, and there's no better way to do the story than to actually go through it myself. And so I started gearing up, and I've got to be honest with you guys and kind of let you on the inside, but I hadn't played football since fifth grade. And <laughs> I was a sports reporter for the school newspaper, and I weighed 165 pounds, soaking wet with all my clothes on. So I did not belong there at all. It was gonna be a total joke. This was the number one football team in the country. And here I was, a student newspaper reporter, trying out for the, for the football team. This is gonna be a total joke. So I go through the tryout, um, I go home that night. This was gonna be, this was literally the best story I ever had. I mean, I got to try out for the best football team in the country, this was so cool. And I'm writing the story that night, I'm writing it the next day, it was gonna come out the week after, and I get a phone call two days after the tryout saying, hey Ben, you made the football team. <laughs> I, uh, I wish that could have been my reaction too, but I was so shocked by that. Um, and I was like, no, this is, is this a prank call? <laughs> I mean. And the lady on the other end of the phone was like, no, your name is on the list. You made the football team. So as fast as I could, I hopped on my bike, pedaled over the football building. And about halfway there, it hits me that Coach Carroll is renowned for pulling pranks. Pete Carroll is, uh, he was the head coach of USC at the time. And I mean, you could type up on YouTube right now, Pete Carroll prank, and you'll get about 20 videos. Don't do it now. Wait till after the service. Um, but I mean, he is a, a renowned prankster, a big old jokester. Uh, he's a kid at heart. And so I was like, oh, man, I'm going to be the butt end of his latest prank. I can't believe this. Here's the student newspaper reporter who had tried out for the football team, 
of course I'm going to be the butt end of his latest prank. So I'm fully expecting to walk into the football office and see Will Ferrell and Snoop Dogg and some <laughs> candid cameras there, and Coach Carroll pulls the rug out from under me. But I walk in, there's Coach Carroll with a big old grin on his face, and I was like, okay, Coach, joke's over. Uh, tell me the truth here. He's like, no, 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 you can catch the ball, you can run fast. We want you on the team. Just there in that moment, my life took a total turn. I went from student newspaper reporter who was just going through the tryout just to write an article. I hadn't played football since fifth grade. And all of a sudden, there I was on the number one football team in the country. It was crazy. I never even dreamed this was possible. So there I go. I, I get my helmet and my pads. I get my playbook. Learning the playbook, I mean, I'd played Madden before on, on Xbox, but, <laughs> but this playbook was a little different than that playbook. Um, I go get my helmet and my pads. I didn't know which way was front, which way was back on the pads. Um, it's a little harder than it looks. You'd think I was really simple, but when you hadn't played football in 11 years, it was a little challenging. So <laughs> there I am trying to learn the, the, the ropes a little bit, and I'm out there at practice. I'm getting my, my butt kicked left and right. I mean, on that team alone, there were 54 guys that ended up playing the NFL. So I'm going against basically an NFL roster every day in practice, and I'm a skinny little guy who wasn't really trying to be on this football team. And there I was, um, day after day at practice, trying to learn the playbook, trying to add some weight to my body. And I'm out there at practice one day, about a month or so later, and in the, in the middle of the spring, and I, I get my hand caught in a guy's pad as I'm blocking him, kind of a, a freak play, and I dislocate my shoulder. And I'm laying there on the field in utter pain, and also seeing that this dream that I started to take hold of was, was fractured. It was gone because I got injured. I mean, an injured football player is not much of use to a football team. And so they rushed me to the hospital there on campus, and the doctor said I need emergency reconstructive surgery on my shoulder. And um, the recovery time for that was nine months. And so for whatever reason, um, I mean, technically my football career was over before it even started. But um, for whatever reason, I just devoted myself to rehab. And uh, we got a short little video here that Fox Sports put together. It's about a five-minute video that kind of tells the rest of the story um, from there. So if we could show that. Thank you. He easily could have hung him up and said, nah, I'm just going to get well and forget about it. But he was determined maybe more than ever to show that he belonged. Ben was now focused on living up to the words of sports writer Owen Byrd, who in 1912 had nicknamed the team the Trojans because, as he wrote, no matter the situation, the odds, or the conditions, the competition must be carried on to the end, and those who strive must give all they have and never be weary in doing so. He was on a mission. He was definitely going to rehab all the time. And he was going to get back. What was really inspirational to a lot of us, especially to me, was that even as a walk on, he stuck with it, and a lot of people definitely wouldn't have. That was really amazing to a lot of us. Ben was racing against the clock. He was determined to return to the team before the end of the season. The transformation from writer to player was now complete. He really, really believed in getting back as quickly as possible. To everyone's shock, Ben returned to practice a mere four months after his injury. That was the biggest victory right there. It was like, well, I can do anything I put my mind to. But the real surprise came as the campus and community responded to the news of his recovery. He represented the average student on campus. The story became bigger than me. It became everyone, and everyone saw hope in it. Grade school girls that played volleyball and said, you know, I was thinking about giving up, but now 
I'm gonna keep trying because I heard your story. Or the soldiers from Iraq that were grappling with all of the, their daily challenges and heard about Ben's story and they said, this is the story of why America is great. But though it was a stirring story, Ben's recovery came with only three games remaining in the season. As a walk-on, his chances of playing were already slim. Now, they were remote. I sort of resigned to just putting on that jersey every Saturday for home games and practicing my butt off on Monday through Friday. That's really all I wanted from the experience. But his friends had higher hopes. I had a couple of really good friends who thought that it would be cool if they started a, a little campaign, get Ben in, to sort of support me and push the whole campus to get involved. Get Ben in was uh, the battle cry that we heard over and over again. We put up hundreds of flyers like on campus, like all over the place. They made t-shirts and posters and signs. Everywhere we could place a flyer, we put it. I think we actually made the university kind of mad at us for a little while. Even Coach Carroll was pulling for him and looking for the right opportunity. It's always something that we're hoping to do. So when you have an opportunity to present that for the guys, you know, I jump at it. Unfortunately for Ben, the next two games presented no opportunity to play. Arch rival Notre Dame was USC's final opponent of the year and Ben's last chance to play for the Trojans. I got up in the morning at the hotel and was watching the television and I saw a big sign and it said, get Ben in with a big photo of Ben on it. I'm thinking, this is remarkable. It was so cool how people rallied behind me. 92,000 people and all very feverish because it was the Notre Dame game, but it was spine tingling. If I could have just taken that as my lasting memory, that would have been the best thing ever. This was my last chance. It was senior night at the Coliseum. We were asked as a group of parents to come out on the field and form a gauntlet for the players to run through. And, of course, the first name they mentioned, he comes running through like Traveler the Horse, and he ran through the gauntlet. I look up on the Jumbotron, and there it is. It says Ben Malcolmson from Highland Park, Texas. And I went, oh, my gosh. Many people tell me I'd give my left arm to have that experience. And I go, wow, it really is that big a deal. The Notre Dame game couldn't have been a more storied way to end. After all, Notre Dame's Rudy Rudiger's walk-on story had inspired a feature film, Rudy. Almost like it was divine intervention. We were up two scores. And I remember that Notre Dame had tried to onside kick the ball. The score then got to a point where there was a sufficient spread that the coaches felt comfortable in putting Ben in the game. Finally, eight months of sweat, pain, and dedication paid off for Ben Malcolmson. It was an out-of-body experience for sure. Coach said, Benny, you're in. We saw him running out there and we said, oh my gosh, he's actually gonna get into the game. It was just an awesome experience. Um, I definitely went nuts. Even though it was only like 10 seconds of me on the field on that play, it meant so much to me for all the work that I put in, all the challenges it overcome, but also for the people who had started to support me. And it was just not only my friends, it was so many people around campus, people in class, people I didn't even know. What a remarkable experience. And uh, I think that's what Ben kind of lived for. Though he was only on the field for one play, 
Ben accomplished something few could ever imagine. That dream that everyone has to what would it be like to be out there and be a part of it, he got to live it. For Ben to be able to do that was something that I think really proved to him that I can do something extraordinary in my life. It is very special for these guys to be able to hang in this program. It's a very unique program. That's a lifelong memory for those guys to make it through because of their will and their toughness and their desire and the way they dream. It's a beautiful thing sometimes. It's just surreal. It's unbelievable. It seems like only stuff that happens in movies. It's one of the highest moments of my life, without a doubt. Uh, before, you, before you keep clapping, I do need to be honest with you guys. Uh, I need to apologize for my acting skills. Sorry about that. And uh, number two on the play, the one play I got in, you probably thought I was going to score a touchdown or something, but um, I actually lined up wrong and should have been penalized five yards. So <laughs> I was just so excited. I mean, I just got lost in the moment. So I, I asked for your forgiveness there, and uh, we'll move on. But, but that story alone just, just screams of God's glory. I mean, only God can take a skinny newspaper reporter who was going through football tryouts just to write an article and place him on the number one football team, overcome injury, to get a moment like that, to get an experience like that. That is God right there. But the incredible thing, the coolest thing about it is that God went even further than that. That from the moment I found out I was on the team, I had this deep sense that I was there for a purpose. Um, it wasn't the audible voice of God, but it was just this deep sense inside of me that God had me on that team for a reason. And as I say that, maybe some of you guys, maybe most of you guys can can feel that too. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in school. That you feel like God has you in a certain place among a certain group of people for a reason. And I felt that almost from the, from the moment I found out I was, I was on the team. And I started to press into that, started to pursue that. And I get an idea a couple months into being on the team that I need to start a Bible study for the team. So I got a room ready. I got a lesson ready. I passed out flyers to all my teammates. I told all my teammates, hey, we're going to have a Bible study. Come on out. The time comes for our first Bible study, and no one showed up. I was the only one there. So you can imagine my discouragement, because I thought I was there for a purpose. I thought God had me there for a reason. and I guess I missed that part of it, so let me, uh, let me try to find another idea. And I was praying and, and just asking God to show me something else. What was my purpose in being on that team? And I get an idea that I need to start a prayer group for the team. So I made flyers for all my teammates. I told all my, my friends on the team, and had a room for our prayer group, and the time came for our first prayer meeting, and again, no one showed up. So there I was, twice as defeated, twice as discouraged, doubting just as much. God, I thought I was here for a purpose. I thought I was here for a reason. And I know as I say that, most of you feel that too, or have felt that in your life in some form or fashion. Maybe it's with family members or friends or coworkers, but we all have this desire to, to have a purpose and to have an impact on the people around us but sometimes it just looks like we're not. And so I was struggling. I was at a low point. And then I get an idea that I had just written in Matthew 5, and it says, let your light shine before men. And it hit me that lights just shine. Lights don't need to go, to go create events or go do things. They just need to be a light. So I just needed to be a light where I was. And so I just focused on that, just being a good friend, just all this, the, the being a light part instead of doing all these things. And so I just started focusing on being a good friend, being a good teammate, and just trying to have good conversations with, with the guys around me. And 
After a couple weeks of trying to be a light, I was seeing zero fruit. There were no results at all. If anything, it was setting me further back because I was running out of time and I just wasn't seeing anything good happen. So you can imagine my discouragement, my defeat at that point. And we're, we get chosen to play in the Rose Bowl on January 1st. And a couple weeks before the Rose Bowl, time was running out. I only had that one season to play. I was a senior. And I get an idea that everyone on the team should get a Bible. In Isaiah 55, I had just read that if his word goes out, it does not come back empty. And so I figured, well, what if I put his literal word out there? He's faithful to his promises. It's not going to come back empty. So I got 100 Bibles, and I placed one in every single locker with a little red note sticking out of it. We have a picture of that. It says, a Christmas gift for you, the greatest present you will ever receive, Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas. Placed one in every single locker on Christmas Eve. I didn't want anyone to know that it was me. I just did this kind of in the dark of the night. And I, we had Christmas Day off, and we came in on the 26th of December, our last week together before the game on January 1st. And I was so excited because I had finally made it to the end. I had finally found the fulfillment of my purpose in being on that team. I was so sure of it. And so I'm riding my bike over the football building, just fully expecting of what God's going to do. I mean, I was so excited. I mean, it was there's going to be mass revival in the locker room. There was going to be, like, gold light emanating from the doors. Like, the hallelujah chorus is going to be sung from the locker room. You know, like, I was so excited. So I pulled the door to the locker room open, and I see the exact opposite. Bibles just thrown all over the floor. Pages shredded, ripped up, thrown all over the carpet. You could barely even see the carpet because all you saw were shredded pages of Bibles everywhere. So you can imagine my discouragement, just the crushing feeling of that, that I had poured my heart and soul into trying to find my purpose that fall, and once again, I had failed. So we go through that week, and I'm just trying to make the most of it, just from a football, football perspective, and we win the Rose Bowl. It was awesome, but I still felt like I had missed my purpose. I felt this hole in my heart that I had missed out on why God had me there. A few days after the Rose Bowl, I'm sitting at home, and I get a phone call from a teammate saying, hey, did you hear about Mario? Mario was our kicker on the team. He was the, the, probably the most lovable guy on the team. He was one of, my, one of my closest friends. And I was like, no, what happened to Mario? He's like, oh, no, you didn't hear. Mario died last night. 21 years old. Tragically died mysteriously in the middle of the night. And so obviously I was stricken with grief and just absolutely destroyed by that. One of my closest friends had passed away at 21 years old. A few days later, we go to the funeral, and on top of his casket, as they carry it down the center aisle, was the Bible that I had placed in his locker, with the same red note sticking out of it. I looked up, I saw that, and it was so clearly God's personal touch for me to give me comfort in that time. I was blown away at just God's intimate personal touch just for me to comfort me, to get through that grief. And then for the next couple years, um, I worked at USC. I worked for Coach Carroll there, and then he took the job with the Seahawks in 2010, and he asked me to come up with him, and I moved up uh, then. And when I moved up, the only person I knew up here was Coach Carroll. And I love him to death, but I needed to hang out with someone else besides him. So, <laughs> so I, was, I was like the desperate, lonely guy. Like, I would sitting, be sitting next to people at church just, like, hoping they'd ask me to lunch, you know, like, that kind of thing. And I'd, I'd just meet some random person on the street in Bellevue, and I'd hope that he's friendly, you know. Like, I was just, I was that guy. So I come across this super friendly guy who starts telling me about this group called Young Life. 
it's a high school mentorship program. Uh, it's involved in a lot of high schools in the area. And he's like, hey, you should come volunteer. And whatever it was, I was in because I needed something to do with my free time. So I jumped in. I show up at this Young Life Leader meeting. And one of my former teammates walks in. I hadn't seen this guy in four years. His name was Taylor. He was our punter on the team. And I'm kind of shocked because I'm like, what the heck is this guy doing here? I didn't know he lived in Seattle. He didn't know I lived in Seattle. I didn't really know he was a believer. I didn't know he was following Jesus. And so we kind of remove ourselves from, from that meeting. And he starts telling me that his life had totally turned around. I was like, well, what happened? He's like, dude, do you remember the last week we were on the team together? There were Bibles in all of our lockers. I had I, I'd forgotten about these, to be honest. I had taken the Bible I'd placed in my locker, threw it in the back of my bookcase. I didn't really want to think about it because, honestly, this symbolized defeat and discouragement. This black Bible with the gold on the outside and the red notes sticking out symbolized discouragement. It symbolized the death of a teammate. And so I didn't really want to think about this Bible. And so when he said that, I, my heart kind of dropped, and I just told myself to play dumb. I don't, I don't know. He's just, yeah, I, I kind of remember that. I don't know. And he's like, okay, well, he starts telling me that he grew up in a Christian home, and he went, he, when he went to college, he decided to turn and run from the faith, live his own life, do his own thing. And so he saw a Bible in his locker that day, and he was like, kind of confused, like, what, is someone trying to shove this down my throat? What's going on? And he throws it in the back of his locker, never to think of it again. And he's going out to the practice field that morning, and he's pushing the door to go out to the field, and he hears a voice in the back corner of the locker room saying, what is this? He thought he was the last one to leave the locker room that morning, but there's a voice back there. He turns around, and it's Mario, our kicker, sitting in his locker, thumbing through the Bible, going, what is this? And Taylor, the guy who I had just reconnected with, our punter, tells me that he screams across the locker room, Mario, are you an idiot? Have you never seen a Bible before? And Mario's like, no. What am I supposed to do with this? Taylor said, for some reason, he sets down his helmet and pads right there at the doorstep turns around and walks back, sits down in the locker next to Mario's, and for 45 minutes takes him through the Bible, shares the gospel of God with him, shares the good news of Jesus Christ coming to die, to make you right with God, to forgive you of your sins. Every word written in rare the words of Jesus Christ, he goes on and on. He, and Mario, our kicker, can't get enough. He's soaking it up. Taylor said for the rest of that week, Mario, every spare moment he had, he was re either reading the Bible or asking Taylor questions. Can't get enough. A, a few days before the game, Taylor said that Mario, his life had completely transformed. He had started a relationship with God. And so Taylor gets that same phone call I did a few days after the game. Did you hear about Mario? Mario died. And Taylor said in that moment, everything just immediately came into focus. He saw the love and the power of God reach Mario just in the moments before, the days before he passed away. And he sees that Mario is in heaven now because of what God had done just in the days before he passed away. And so Taylor's saying, and he's sharing this story to me, and he's like, ever since that happened, I had encountered God in an incredibly real way. And I just, God was so real. There's no doubt, I'm so all in on God right now. And he's telling me this, and I'm just shaking. And he's like, isn't that the craziest story? I'm like, yeah, and it's even crazier because I was the one that put the Bibles in the lockers, and I thought it was a total failure. We gave each other a big hug, and this is our God. This is our God. Yes. God is desiring to do incredible things through each and every one of us. 
like we said at the beginning, he, he loves speaking to us through stories. And the most beautiful stories are the ones that he's writing through each and every one of your lives. That God has an incredible purpose for each and every person in here. He doesn't just pick out certain people. He has an amazing purpose for each and every one of you in here. And it's about listening to those little nudges. It's not about finding this huge, gigantic purpose, but it's about listening to those little nudges. And a lot of times you don't see the fruit of it. Like for me, I listened to those nudges all along, and I looked like it was failing over and over and over again. But sometimes it's about listening to those nudges. Maybe you relate with Taylor, and you're feeling that nudge on your heart to drop down your pads and your helmet, drop down your old life, and turn back to God. Maybe you're like Mario in here this morning, and you're like, what is this? What is this all about? And maybe that nudge on your heart is just to turn to God for the first time. Or maybe the nudge you're feeling right now is the one I, I needed all along. Just that nudge to keep going, to keep being faithful, to trust and to know that God is desiring to do incredible things in each and every one of us, that he has an amazing purpose for each and every one of our lives. There's a verse from the back of the Old Testament, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5, and says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am doing something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. This is our God. He desires to do things in each of your days that you would not believe, even if he told you right now. Now, if he would have told me before all this stuff happened, all these things are going to happen, I wouldn't have believed him. This is too far beyond my own comprehension. But this is our God. So look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For God is doing something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Thank you all so much. Friends, I, I am just so amazed as I listen to what I would call a living parable, as I listen to this incredible story of Ben's life and, and see such obvious heaven through it. Amen. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you. This is the third time that I've heard Ben tell this story, and what was going through my mind as he's sharing this story, do you know when Jesus tells the story of the shepherd who leaves the 99 and he hunts through the wilderness for that one sheep that's lost. And I, I hear Ben's story and I realize that's exactly what God was doing through all of that stuff. And Ben couldn't see it, but that's exactly what God was doing. God was hunting after Mario. And, and I bring this up because, you know, I, I, I know that maybe you're at one of these places that Ben just mentioned. Maybe you're, you're like Ben, that you feel like you're living a life that's primarily obedient to the Lord. You're trying to respond to his nudges and you're trying to share his love and, and you're just not seeing the fruit of that. Today, I know the Lord just wants to say to you, be encouraged. I'm working in your life. I'm working through your life. You can't see it right now. You can't see all of the, the stuff that's going on. We talk sometimes about how God knows all the algorithms, right? And you don't. You're finite, but God isn't. And so 
You just got to be encouraged. You just got to stay faithful. You just got to keep on. And maybe you're here, like Ben said, and you're kind of like Taylor. You know the truth of God. You know who God is. You've experienced his love. But maybe you're not living a faithful life. Maybe you're not living very close with him, very intimate with him. And, and so maybe today is the day that God just gets your attention and say, you know what? You can drop that other stuff you're holding on to. You can leave that stuff behind. You can actually start a new walk with me. You can start a, 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 just a revitalized connection with me. What I love so much about Taylor's part in this is, is that he was kind of living a messy life, and yet even though he was living a messy life, he had the, 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 the insight to sit down next to Mario and to start telling him about Jesus and to start using sort of what it is that he had known and, and the journey that he had been on to encourage Mario. And, and that was transformative for his friend Mario. And, and over like we've talked before about how all of us in some way or another, we're all a little messy. But we can't let that stop us. We've got to make sure that we give God the opportunity to bring his glory even through the midst of our mess. And finally, maybe you're here and you're Mario. And you've never said yes to Jesus' love. You've never said yes to the grace in which he wants to pour out over your life or the abundance that he's inviting you into. Maybe you've just never even realized how much God loves you. Amen. I heard a story this week. It's about a, a pastor uh, who's passed on now. His name is Chuck Smith, and he was at this great church down in Southern California. And if you know Chuck Smith, he was basically the Santa Claus in the pulpit. He was just this jovial, loving man and, and had ministered down at Calvary Chapel for years and years and years. And his granddaughter comes up to him one day, just this little, little girl, and says, Grandpa, is it true that God watches us all the time so that he can see everything we do wrong? Some of you have that perspective of God. That's exactly what some of you think that God does, just up there watching everything you do wrong. And Chuck Smith said, oh, sweetheart, God watches you all the time because he can't take his eyes off you. He loves you so much. He loves you so much that he can't take his eyes off you. And he wants the very, very best for you. And so he's inviting you to say yes to his love today. He's inviting you to say yes to his grace today. He's inviting you to just reach out your hand and take hold of his and begin a journey that starts now and lasts for eternity, just like Mario did. You know, I promise you this. When Mario accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, he had no idea it was the last week of his life. Think about that for a moment. Now, we are, none of us promise tomorrow. And I'm not trying to be negative and I'm not trying to be a downer, but I just want you to understand that no matter how long your life goes, it's very, very short in light of eternity. Amen. And I believe that God has brought us here today and I believe God has brought Ben here today to share this story with us. And I believe that Jesus is absolutely here today. And there is an invitation from his heart to yours saying, would you say yes to my love? Would you accept my grace? 
would you begin this relationship and walk with me in faith? Would you do that today? So why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes right now? And I know that there are a few places that, that we are sort of on this faith journey, on the spectrum of faith. And, and I'm going to pray, and I'm actually going to pray for each one of these positions that we've talked about today, for, for whether you're in Ben's place or Taylor's place or Mario's place. But before I begin, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask if there are anybody here who would like to say yes to the love of Jesus for the first time, would you raise your hand right now? Is there anybody who'd like to say yes to Jesus' love? Just slip your hand up right now. Yes. Anybody else? Yeah. Okay. Lord Jesus, you know every single heart here. You know all of the ways that we are desperate for your love. And, and Jesus, you see the desire we have the desire we have to know you and to be known by you and to be cleansed and forgiven of all of our sin. You see the desire we have to live a more abundant life, a life that, that isn't sort of held down by all these worldly concerns and anxieties and fears, but rather, Jesus, to live free and abundantly with you. And, and Jesus, that's exactly what you provide for on the cross of Calvary. It's exactly what you have come to offer to us. And and so today we want to say yes to that. And I, I know that there are some here and I've, those hands that responded, those hearts that responded to you, that you love them intensely and you love them personally and you love them individually. And you are so pleased that they're saying yes to you. And, and I just pray right now that you'd wrap them up in your, in your arms of love, that you'd whisper your words of love over them, that they would understand how precious they are to you, and, and even uh, though, Lord, uh, you know, they may feel so far, far away from you, Jesus, my prayer is that right now you would draw them close and that you would allow them to understand that everything has changed, that they have said yes to you, and that now they're journeying with you, and you're going to continue to journey with them and work with them and grow them over the course of their lifetime until this life is over, and then you're going to welcome them with open arms for all of eternity. And so we just thank you for that, Lord. For those who are, are like Taylor, maybe know you but not living with you or living for you, Jesus, my prayer is that you would just wash over them now with your forgiveness, that they would just draw close to you and understand how close you are to them. My prayer is for there to be an incredible amount of encouragement, that it would, it would not be with shame that these hearts come back to you, but rather with love that you meet us exactly where you are. You know where we are, you find us where we are, and you meet us where we are. And we are so thankful for that. And lastly, Lord Jesus, I'm gonna lift up everyone in this room who's wrestling with discouragement right now. Discouragement that maybe they're not able to share their faith effectively with their family members, their loved ones. Maybe discouragement that they, they don't know how to approach neighbors or coworkers or classmates. Lord Jesus, I just lift them up to you now. I ask that you would pour your courage into them. Holy Spirit, that you would allow them to hear that nothing that they do for you is ever done in vain. That you are an incredible God who works all kinds of ways behind the scenes that we cannot see. Would you just encourage our hearts to be faithful to you 
and to continue to walk with you as your sons and daughters. We pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Mm -hmm.